You're listening to Motor Mouth with Andrew McCready and David Booth. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Motor Mouth. I'm Andrew McCready, and as always, I'm joined by this podcast namesake, David Booth, a.k.a. Motor Mouth. This week, we're going to tackle some electric vehicle content, beginning with Motormouth channeling his inner Marshall McLuhan to explain that the problem with public skepticism about EVs isn't so much the medium, but rather the messaging. David will also report on a recent trip to Southern California, where he became one of the first automotive journalists in the world to drive the all-new Porsche Taycan. And just as with his experience with the first-gen high-performance all-electric sports sedan, he came away very impressed. In between those two discussions, we'll flesh out the most recent Motormouth column, one entitled In Praise of the Long-Range PHEV. The plug-in hybrid space has been making headlines recently, with General Motors announcing they are getting back into the PHEV business, and other automakers doubling down on their efforts to bring all-new plug-in hybrids to market, possibly at the cost of new EVs. How are you doing today, David? Not too bad. Uh, I'm on my way to, te- uh, to California first thing in the morning to test a whole bunch more cars, including the new Lucid uh, rear-wheel drive, their entry-level version. So I'm really excited about that. Lucid's are great cars. Testing a few bikes. Life is good. Yes, you live a, you live a charmed life, David. But you also work hard, so it, you know, it's all karma. Okay, let's start off with a contention that a big problem with so-called EV revolution is the mixed messaging that is being presented across multimedia platforms and, of course, on the beloved social media. We've recently read and seen no shortage of negative press about EVs in the past couple of months. So is it just as simple as that, that the negative messaging is hurting it, or is there something more at work here? Well, I mean... There are negative news items out there. I mean, really, there's been nothing but negative, you know. I mean, just since I wrote that column, um, Volvo has announced it's no longer going to support Polestar. That's a really big deal because, you know, Volvo is supposed to be, and Polestar is going to be by 2025 all electric, I believe. And Volvo, I think, was by 2030. Um, This is going to really hit them in the teeth. Uh, You mentioned... Uh, I think on our last program, GM and Honda have decided to qu- quit their program. Ford has stopped the F-150. There's been a lot of negative news. Tesla's stock is in the toilet. Um, even in China, they're, they're not selling nearly as well. With all that bad news, though, let us remember that EV sales have not declined. It's just that the rate of gr- acceleration of the growth on, in sales has very much diminished. And that is absolutely true. And it is also absolutely true if this pattern of the of sales continues. Well, sales will continue to increase. I want to make sure I'm not saying sales are decreasing. But at the level of sales that we're now, growth we're now seeing, we're not going to hit 100%, anywhere near 100% at 2035. Okay? So that's the messaging. Uh, anybody who says everything's okay, full of baloney. Anybody who says that EVs are going downhill, they're full of baloney. Um, the biggest problem I think now is that the people that are pro-EV cannot even in, like many of them, even in a slight, slight manner, can even acknowledge the bad, the bad news. And, and even more so, the bigger problem is, is they don't even recognize and by recognize i mean acknowledge i should have said i guess that the concerns people have like one of the biggest concerns that i have is every time you say you know the the charging and the range combination don't work for me because i'm a road trip um um uh, person they belittle you they literally tell you you don't know what you're talking about um i've got no problems etc etc and Besides the fact that, in fact, range anxiety is a real thing for me, I just last weekend, I DC fast charged five times driving EVs just in one weekend. Um, it's not fun. It's not like charging up a, a, a gas car. But more importantly, the messaging's all wrong. Rather than saying, okay, maybe you'd be better off in a PHEV, many people, commenters on my site, uh, 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 influencers, uh, 
people that are truly in charge of large organizations promoting EVs refuse to seemingly to acknowledge that people have legitimate concerns. They delegitimize those concerns. And the problem with that is that it just turns people that are mildly skeptical into hard-nosed skeptics who don't won't believe in the future anything that you have to say. Uh, the best thing about that is, you know, Ford F-150, the Lightning, the Ford company showed that darn electric truck pulling a train um, I, one of the more, it was the most famous commercial for that um, uh, for that vehicle, and it really got a lot of attention. Well, as it turns out, every uh, uh, person that I've read that's towed a uh, towed a load with an F one fifty Lightning has barely got over one hundred miles, one hundred sixty kilometers, which is not anywhere near um, adequate, not within like one third uh, enough adequate. Plus, it goes against that messaging. And and you can bet that all the people that bought F-150 Lightning stinks they were going to uh, go to tow with them. Those people are now really hard-edged skeptics. They've been lied to. So the next time, maybe there's a truck in a little while, four, five, six years, maybe, or maybe never. But say there is an electric, pure electric truck that can tow, if not equal to a diesel or a gas car, at least something that might approach adequacy. Well, all those people that are that drove those cars remember those uh, their complaints, and they've been vociferous and widespread. They're going to be very skeptical about believing the next range of people. Um, and so, I, I think the problem uh, that's going forward um, will be less about me- uh, the technical aspect and a lot about messaging. And before I finish on that. I've had two good experiences with that that um, with that uh, with that motor mouth, and you. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, the people I've been mentioning, telling me I'm full of baloney and I don't know anything and all like that. There was EV in Focus, that um, actually, uh, which is a small website based in um, England, but goes worldwide. Quite good. They've shown me a couple of their white papers. Anyways, they put out a newsletter as a result of that, basically saying. We don't agree with everything that Mr. Booth says, but we do think that we can't belittle people who have questions. And the other one was from a guy, and I'm reading it here, okay? His name is Matt Teske. He's founder of something, founder and CEO of something called Chargeway, and, um, and which I think is an app to teach people uh, and to show people how to get along better with their EVs and find um, charging stations that work and everything like that. It's, uh, I'm not sure more than that, but he said something in a response to me promoting that, um, promoting that motor mouth that I wished I could have written. He said, we need to be selling EVs as a product, not as an ideology. Very well said, Matt Teske. And, and that basically says it all. There was a time when we needed the true believers and the zealots. Now they're just a darn car. You got to start selling them as a car with lim- uh, their limitations and their advantages. This zealotry no longer cuts the mustard. Yeah, I mean, without question, in, in many segments of society, in many industries, disinformation is kind of the uh, the way it is. And we just are kind of trying to find our way through that. And then, of course, we're going to throw artificial intelligence and news gathering into that. So I think it's probably going to get cloudier until it gets clearer. Certainly EVs is that space. I'm always curious about the the uh, motivations of, of uh, as you, well, let's say this is what you write. You wrote, um, technology is not solely to blame. The agencies promoting EV adoption are engaging in tactics that are turning off a large part of the electorate. I wonder who the, I mean, about these agencies, I wonder what their motivation is. Is it is it climate change ideology? Is it, um, do they have stock in Tesla? I mean, are they, are they, a lot of them are involved in these EV space. So obviously for them to survive, they need EVs to continue to grow. Um, your thoughts? I think it's that one. I also think that for a long time, the way to get to people motivated was zealotry. And indeed it works for the initial progress of a new, a new product or a new thought or whatever. The problem is, is that, and this is throughout our whole 
um, um, political and, you know, our whole life, uh, the spectrum of everything we have to deal with. Whereas we used to know that there was a time between, you know, zero and 20% acceptance where the zealotry had to diminish and more pragmatic messaging had to come along. In so many fields, including this one, we've, um, um, uh, we've determined that we should continue with this idealism right till we get 100%. And, I, you, know, I, I, you know, the problem is, is as you can, I mean, the United States is perfect with its politics. They're almost equally divided. And all the celery has done has made each side get, what, 46% of the electric. And there's maybe 8% that decides the election. You know what I'm saying? So maybe this, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've told you a number last time, I think. I said 46% EVs. Uh, I, I just picked it out of, uh, out of the air, but it, it, it kind of makes sense if you follow the American politics. But it, there's not necessarily a correlation. But my point is, is zealotry will get us still further. Will it get us the last half, the last 40%, whatever is, is, are the skeptics? No, it's going to harden those skeptics. So there's got to be a transition of that message. The other point is, and, and, and there's just a lot of dumb people that want to sound smart and, and just <laughs> say things that are accepted by a certain type of people so they can, they can feel smart about themselves. There's people that have made a commitment to something, uh, and this is on both sides of the argument, where they just can't admit that... Uh, that there's not necessarily that there's they're wrong, that there's some compromise in here uh, uh, that to be had. It's it's it, you know it would appear again using politics as a as a um, as a as a metaphor that any backward step, any admission that ah maybe the other guy has a point, is just so anathema to our. With the way we deal with things now that nobody can do it. So that's my take on it. Yeah. And I think also part of the social media thing and in the, the internet in general is once you make a statement, it's out there forever. So if you do admit you're wrong, suddenly you can immediately get piled on with old screen grabs of what you said. And then that suddenly throws your whole argument into, or every argument of yours going forward into disre disrepute. So yeah, it's complicated. You know, it's interesting. We've talked before about this idea of the we're kind of at the point where early adopters own EVs now. They 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 bought them. I mean, you call them zealots, call them call them what you will. I would say though, a big part of it is a user case. The people that have bought EVs, the vehicle that they bought works for their life. Be it a commuter, be it a garage in their home in a suburban place where they have a level two charger. So it works for them. We're now at the spot where, while there are still lots of people in suburbia that don't have these cars, it's the ones now that want to see no compromise in buying an EV. They're not interested in, 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 in compromising how they use their car because actually their car maybe to them isn't that important. It's like an appliance. It's like their fridge. But suddenly if their fridge, if they had to start using their fridge differently or could only open their fridge between the hours of 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., those kind of compromises people aren't willing to make. So some, some people, some people, some people, but, but go ahead. No, the, the, what I was going to say is I wrote that story, the mess, uh, the messaging story. And in it, I made a paragraph where whenever I get responses telling me, again, I'm full of baloney. It's always the egocentric. eye. I don't mind stopping for a long time. I don't drive very far, uh, fast, uh, far enough to use a DC fast charger. I, don't, I like to stop because I have two kids and I, we need the time to get the kids to pee. I like to have a burger uh, every time I stop. And then they go on to say, almost invariably, and I don't know anybody else, okay, that uh, drives uh, the way you say you do in road tripping. And the implication is always that because I do this, that everybody will do this or everybody does this and that... And, and what was really funny is I wrote that. It was like a full paragraph in, in, in that story. And there was at least one, uh, two, but there was one guy that went on for, oh, my God, four comments, uh, 150 words a comment. And basically his whole thing was, 
I don't use it. I don't know anybody. It was exactly repeating my paragraph as if he hadn't read it or wasn't self-aware enough to know that he's exactly the person I was talking with. I pointed that out, but he again said I'm full of baloney and everything else. But the point is, is that, you know, some people will change. Some people won't. The, the concept that everybody will do the right thing. That's what the messaging is. We can, we can only survive as a planet if every car is electric. When's the last time everybody everywhere did the right thing or did what they were told to or whatever? When's, when's that the last? It's never happened in, in, in the history of humanity, I don't think. You know, I mean, uh, so I, like there's, there's a lot of ego, personal egos. I've made a choice. I think I'm smart. I can live with this. Either you can because you're like me. If you're not like me, we're going to force you and because I'm right. And it really, when, it, when you boil it all down and you sift all the rationalizations through it, that appears to be the, the, the core message. And, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. They can pretend it's going to work. It's not going to work. So, Well, I guess, I mean, in fairness, though, we have to acknowledge that a lot of the limitations, if not all the limitations, are based on current technology, on current battery technology. So towing, cold weather, range anxiety, all the things you cite as kind of as, as bridges too far for people, those are going to change in the next five years, 15, 20 years. To a degree, to a degree, five, 10 years, not enough. Like, let's understand. Let's say you want to get 500 kilometers, which is less uh, towing range than a diesel, and you want to get it out of a truck. You've got 160, okay? Um, uh, uh, right now, you're going to need three times as much. The, the, the Ford F-150 has 140 kilowatt hours of battery. Uh, bat, uh, motor efficiencies and like that are going to be tough to come by because, as we know, electric motors are so efficient. So most of that is going to have to come through putting in more kilowatt hours in your in, in your truck to get it to tow long enough uh, to uh, uh, drive far enough when you're towing. That's going to need four to five hundred kilowatt hours of battery, and you know even with solid state, you know they're about thirty percent more energy dense than right than the ones we have now. There's no room to put 500 kilowatts, even in the biggest truck. Uh, the, the damn thing will weigh more than the GMC Hummer. You know, so certain things have limitations that are going to be much more difficult. But David, David, I mean, you're an engineer. I mean, th th sure, there are limitations, but you're basing that on our current understanding. There are breakthroughs, especially in this field, battery technology, where there are, there are I would argue probably some of the smartest minds in the world working on battery technology. You have to acknowledge that there's going to be breakthroughs in the next five oh, or absolutely. 10 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we double the energy density by 2035 or 2040? Possibly. But let's remember something. Um, you know, one of the problems in the media, not amongst the experts, is that people mistake electric for electronics. We're used to the, the, the doubling of uh, computing power every two years. Uh, it's a lot slower. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, molasses-like, but it takes somewhere from about 10 to 15 years between somebody makes a cell and we say, oh, there's somebody's got a cell testing a new, you know, sodium ion or whatever it might be, uh, lithium air uh, battery cell somewhere in China or Israel. Okay, on average, it takes between 10 and 50 years from that to go to a cell to an, being an actual battery. But 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 that's that's a historical reference. And because demand is so big, a lot more resources will be thrown at that to shorten around that turnaround time. Maybe, maybe. But it, it, it's if you figure it out, if you figure it out, you're a billionaire. The stakes yeah, are huge. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I get what you're saying. But it isn't going to be like designing an internal combustion engine where every two years there's something, a homogenous engine coming up. No, it's not, Andrew, because the, where what you just said is only slightly faulty is that the company that uh, gave me the best indication on that was Nissan. And Nissan was all in by, um, to, uh, to EVs by 20, 
2010, 2012. And that's actually when they started coming up with the um, solid-state battery. I talked with the guy that developed the chemistry for Nissan, and he wasn't supposed to let out the date. He's now the head of batteries at Nissan. And and he's been working full-time since, about, I think, about 2012, and he's going to, on that solid-state battery, and he's going to be introducing it in Nissan's either 2027 or 2028, I believe. And the, the point is, is the, the people that were... Um, uh, if you remember the Carlos Ghosn era and his adamant uh, adamants that uh, batteries are um, uh, 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 are electrics were going to take over the world at that time, they were well vested in that. Um, probably ahead of, of of Tesla. Now Tesla has Elon Musk, and they're all in. But I mean, Elon Musk's technology is falling behind. I mean, you know, he's spending so much time on FSD. He's still on four hundred volts. Uh, his the charging speeds can't keep up with the Taycan that I just tested, which we'll get to in a moment. So again, Andrew, I there is going to be developments. Uh, solid state will come about twenty twenty eight. It'll start being common at twenty thirty. We'll have a thirty percent to forty percent increase from say twenty twenty five's energy density then. And there might be another 20 to 25 percent um, uh, by 2035. But that's still not going to get us where we need. And we got to remember that you need to put more kilowatt hours into vehicles. So unless you can charge them real fast, um, uh, you still got some of that st- range anxiety problem. I mean, if you double the size of the battery to get more range, um, and you keep the same charging speed, then um, um, then it's going to take twice as long to uh, charge the car. Back to Motormouth after this word from our sponsor. Now back to Motormouth. I just got together with uh, Porsche, and I just drove the new Taycan. I drove it along uh, Highway 5 in uh, SoCal, Southern California. And I wasn't driving it easy, and it got 550 kilometers of range. Um, the battery fit into the same box as the old uh, 93.7 kilowatt hour battery. It's now 105 kilowatt hours. Not all of that is usable. I think 97 kilowatt hours are usable. But um, so they got 14% more battery on chemistry and raising the voltage to 830. Um, they spent a lot of time on it. They're very proud of that. The, uh, they got a whole bunch more percentage working with the aerodynamics of the wheels, uh, the aerodynamics of the front splitter. It, it, and, and back to my former argument, and this is the only time I'll mention this again, most of the increases in, in range are coming not from battery chemistry. They're coming from standard um, uh, aerodynamic trickery, wheels, tires and stuff like that. And we're going to run out of those uh, advances before, as you mentioned, the battery um, the battery advances. But anyways, back to the Taycan. Taycan is also pretty good because it can charge faster. The old Taycan, even though, you know, everybody says use the 350 kilowatt charger, the previous Taycan, though, peaked out at 270. This one peaks out 320. That's what they claim. I actually saw 325. More importantly, for charging speed, the old two, uh, 270 peak in the Taycan could be held for about 20% from like 10% of state of charge. You could hold 270 uh, to just over 30. And then the uh, rate of uh, charging would drop to from 270 to well below 200. This one, not only is it 50 kilowatts higher to 320, but it can hold it to 60. Uh, which means you can get 50% of a charge in about uh, 10 minutes. That said, it drops quite a bit afterwards. Um, And the last thing I'd like to say before you ask me some more questions, the reason why they're able to do that fast charging really got my attention. So we, we, if you've been following my motor mouse and, or, you know, otherwise, you know, that the problem is heat. The more amperes you pump into the battery, and this one's now pumping in, uh, I believe, 400 amperes instead of the previous Taycan, I think it was around 326. 
So the more amperes you pump in, the more heat it generates. And then at some point in time, it gets too hot and it'll damage the battery. And according to them, to Porsche, they didn't get to charge longer because they raised the ceiling of the uh, of of what the battery can handle in terms of temperature. In fact, they seem to think that 55 degrees C, about uh, I think it's about 112 degrees or 113 degrees Fahrenheit, is the maximum batteries will be able to handle. You can't go past that. It hurts them. at least anything remotely resembling a current chemistry. But what they did, and this is something that's sort of counterintuitive because we're all told to precondition our batteries, right? To get them at a certain temperature so they're ready to charge. What they actually did the opposite. What they did is they found a way to get the batteries to charge at a lower temperature. So even though the rate of temperature increase per minute is the same, they got more of a leeway to before they reach 55 degrees C. So for instance, their previous Taycan uh, uh, would start DC fast charging. It had to be preconditioned to 35 degrees. Uh, its maximum was 25 degrees, uh, 55 degrees. So that only allowed 20, a margin of 20 degrees of heating up before they had to shut down the party of uh, fast charging. This one will actually start at 15 degrees and is optimally charged starting at 21 degrees. So that's like, uh, what, uh, 13, 14 degrees more uh, temperature increase they can handle before they have to cut things off. Uh, and that's why it can go all the way to 60% now, maintaining its maximum, as opposed to only, you know, around 32 or 33% before. And that is really cool. Cool. Less battery conditioning needed, which is a pain in the ass because it takes away range as well. Um, and just means you can just go up to your uh, pretty much any 350 kilowatt station. Um, and as long as it can pump out a full 350 kilowatt, if your battery is over 15 degrees, and if it's, you know, unless it's well below zero, it's absolutely assured to be, it'll start fast charging right away. That's a huge development. And as I said, counterintuitive. So is the, is it, is the preconditioning now also enabled if it's, if the battery, while you're, let's say you program in a, a charging station and the battery is already above the minimum threshold, will it cool the battery? Will yes, the it will. It yeah, will. I will. I mean, that's okay. what they've told me. So it's a new I, target. It's a new target for the cooling. Or, or, right. And it's totally, a totally counterintuitive to the concept that we have to warm up the battery. And, and, and when you look at and when you look at what people have, have have done, and you look at charging graphs, you know, in in every I've seen uh, 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 charging graphs, mostly Mercedes and Audi, Audi, that can hold one seven uh, hold their thing for longer than the original take end. They can hold it for forty percent, but their peaks were were one hundred and eighty. That's me. That means they were putting in fewer amperes, increasing uh, heat less per minute and so they were able to hold it longer eventually even at that slower rate of heating they reached the maximum of 55 degrees i'm assuming it's the same for everybody but it might not be but uh and then had to shut down the party what and and from what i can understand and this is you know the poorest people telling me that the degree uh to uh, the the 55 degrees is a hard ceiling as far as at least they're concerned the rate of increase in temperature uh, is basically dependent on how much charge you're putting in and is a fairly fixed and linear thing. In other words, there's not much you can do about it. Put more, um, put more juice in, you're just going to heat up the battery faster. So the only solution when you think about it, and I wish I was smart enough to have thought of it before, um, is to lower the temperature at which you can start really jamming in the juice. And that's what they've done. And uh, good on them. It's, it's really something. It's between you and I, I did ask the head of charging, uh, head of charging and battery development. Uh, it was a woman, very smart woman. Uh, anyways, I asked her like, okay, so you've got 10 to 60% at 320 and you've got a $235,000 car. When are we going to see 10 to 80% at 320 so that you can have you know, 70% of your charge in literally 
12 minutes, a real 12 minutes, not the BS that we keep getting over, over the, uh, uh, from the people I mentioned earlier, the agencies supporting this, a real 70% in 10, 12 minutes in a $35,000 car that anybody can use. And she just laughed at me. She yeah. just, she just laughed at me. It's not, and speaking to the developments that you were talking about before, the trickle down of this EV technology, because it's so expensive, the trickle down to those Honda Civic type cars is, 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 there's no question about this, going to be slower than, say, the trickle down of ADAS safety equipment from a Mercedes to a Toyota. Okay. Uh, it just is. Um, you know, I mean, Porsche is proving that. If you want to spend, uh, 200,000 Canadian dollars, you can get a very advanced electric car, or you will shortly when they hit Canadian shores. Uh, when that, when will that technology will not be in a $30,000 car like it would be for um, a, a speed sensor or something else in 2028? It will not be. So, but, but I mean, getting back to my point about innovation and things we didn't see coming, you just saw something you never even thought of, which is a lower battery temperature for conditioning. So that's an example of many, many companies, many, many smart people all doing little pieces that are going to add up. Andrew, there's no question about that. There's no question about that. And we'll, we'll do very much those. There will be incremental things. Uh, let's understand, for instance, that the, the, the big range push on the Taycan is only 14%. It's a 34% increase in all. Only 14% of that, much less than half, was from the battery. There's, again, the, the rate of development, and, and, and this is the most expensive uh, electric car, save a, a Rolls-Royce, um, uh, with the best engineers in the world working on it. We're not going to see this, the, the, the rate of increase in technology that one, we're expecting, two, we're promised, and three are necessary to, for that exponential growth curve we talked about uh, 20 minutes ago to get us to 2035 at 100% PEVs. No, that won't happen. It's not that I was wrong uh, before. I, I, I have been wrong about some things about EVs, but the business of me not thinking about the lower temperature, that's not my bailiwick. I'm supposed to be reporting on it. Did I expect that there would be this kind of development? of this nature and of this magnitude? Yeah, absolutely. That doesn't surprise me. Where the solution comes from and how the solution is implemented, yes, no. I mean, we're going to have a, another 14% by, say, 2028. We'll have another 14% after that, or maybe 20% by 2032. The problem is to keep the promises we've made, we need 400%, okay? We can't uh, to, to, to really get what, what you we were talking about before, the ability to do everything that an ICE can, we, we need a lot more. And to give you a perspective, to get that 100 kilowatt, uh, it's 105, 97 usable, to get that battery charged in, say, eight minutes, 100%, so that I could just get right in it, not, not quite as quick as a gas car, but really bearable for people like me who want that quick change you'd need about eight or nine hundred kilowatt hours average and you'd have to hold it all the way between about five and ninety or ninety five percent and that's like nobody's even talking about that yeah well, i think that, i think that's the goal i think when people sit down and talk about things as a company or as engineers that's the goal that they're all working oh, for absolutely and and will we someday reach it you know what? Okay, so I'll try a prediction. Will there be a car, ten to eighty, uh, that'll go for with a hundred kilowatts? You know, there's no use talking about five minute charging when the battery's got thirty kilowatts and it only goes two hundred kilometers. That's just BS. Again, more of that messaging stuff. Hundred kilowatts. Will there be a car that can do eighty percent of twenty kilowatts in fifteen minutes by twenty thirty five? Yes. Will it cost $200,000? Absolutely. Will there be a car that, can, that costs 30000 that can get the, within, have the same range, 500 kilometers, have a 100 kilowatt hour battery, uh, might cost only $35,000 and charge um, uh, 10 to 
um, to uh, to uh, of, uh, 10 to 90 percent to get 80 percent of your range in 15 minutes by 2035 and all costs thirty five thousand dollars so in today's money so somebody who's in a civic could buy it no 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 i won't be surprised by that one andrew i will not. Well, well david that'll be season 16 of uh motormouth podcast so we'll discuss it then okay david let's switch gears or at least propulsion systems here and talk about a technology that you have long been championing as the most logical present and near-term solution to cutting emissions Plug-in hybrids or PHEVs, which feature a gasoline engine and a plug-in battery pack. So what's the latest news in this powertrain technology? Well, the, 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 I, I, what's um, initiated that motor mouth that I just wrote on that in praise of the long-term uh, PHEV uh, was I just tested a Mercedes-Benz uh, GLE 450E. It's a plug-in hybrid, uh, 23.6. Well, I might be a little bit off with that kilowatt hour battery. It's rated at 77 kilo, uh, 77 kilometers uh, before those uh, kilowatt hours run out. I never got below 80 and one time got 89. It was just boarding on 90. I was trying to get it to get to 90, but it never did. Um, and that's really something because you know, as everybody has discussed, uh, you know, uh, 30 kilo, uh, 30 kilometers of range, a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people will use that up. I mean, you know, if you're traveling a, a suburbanite traveling downtown, um, you'll use it up before you get downtown. And you certainly will use it up coming home if if you didn't get to plug it in. 90 kilowatt, uh, 90 kilometers is quite something the best I've tested so far, except for a really big megabucks uh, Range Rover that had a huge battery, like 32 kilowatt hours. Um, and then Toyota's promising, and unlike Tesla, I believe Toyota's promises, that they're going to have a 200 kilo, a kilometer uh, PHEV very soon, a plug-in hybrid with 200 kilometers. Bigger battery, smaller gas engine, um, and uh, and probably solid state battery because they're planning solid state around 2028, and that'll let them fit both a gas motor and a, um, um, maybe a larger battery into a into a small to medium sized vehicle, and that makes that that's a game that's a game changing technology. 200 kilometers, you know, there's been electric vehicles that have been bought with uh, Volkswagen Golfs and a few others with just 200 kilometers, and that means. Absolutely. I mean, except for, you know, taxi cabs and Uberists and, you know, somebody who is driving from Timbuktu to downtown every day. It means all, pretty much the rest of us will never, ever use more than 200 kilometers in our, in, our, in our daily commute. That changes a lot of things. Uh, the first thing it does is we need a lot less public chargers. Um, uh, certainly, if you're charging at home, you won't, uh, you know, and you've got a PHEV or a full BEV, you won't need too many public charging downtown, okay? The second thing is, is that it will dramatically reduce CO2 emissions. I did some calculations in the motor mouth. If you do, if you live in Toronto and you dr uh, commute uh, every day on electricity and you do two 700-kilometer trips uh, per year out of a total uh, mileage of, 2,500 kilometers, you'll have cut back your CO2 emissions by 92%. Uh, a long distance warrior like me that goes from here to Mont Tremblant eight times a year, you're still cutting back your uh, CO2 emissions by 20%, uh, by, uh, by 80%. You've only got 20% emissions left. Um, that's a really impressive compromise when you consider we won't need as much infrastructure in town and we'll need none on the highway for um, uh, for uh, for uh, electric vehicles, you know, except for the ones that are already there. These plug-in hybrids will not need um, 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 uh, high-speed chargers. And a high-speed charger, 150 kilowatt-hour charger, is $120,000 right now. And again, that's one of those things that are not going to come down to $10,000. They'll come down, but the, it's the computer control of chargers is new and fancy. The actual mechanics or the electronics in it are not. And then a 350 one is closer to, I think it's closer to $200,000. So, you know, we can't 
if we go 100% BEV and we need dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of these, um, say between Toronto and Montreal, there's a huge amount of money. Not not even mentioning the grid, um, the the uh, the uh, power uh, generation plants we need. So keeping a little bit of gasoline, but only on the highway for these long range PVs, uh, would save a, a boatload of money as well. While still, as I mentioned, saving a, a ton of um, of CO2. Now, I want to address the knock on PHEVs. There's been a lot of studies, and I've researched where they come from, and uh, they come from a, uh, an organization called ICCT. And basically what they say is they did a lot of studies, basically in Europe, where they found that, in general, PHEV owners only plug in their cars about half the time, basically, they could get more CO2 friendly um, uh, emissions if they plugged in as rigorously as as BEV owners did. One of the problems they don't like to talk about, uh, you know, this ICCT place has put lots of uh, stuff out about uh, about terrible PHEVs. But in only one study that I've seen from them, did they actually mention one of the biggest issues is in Europe is that the, for a long time there was. Uh, and may still be um, subsidies uh, to companies who buy corporate cars for their employees to uh, buy uh, battery electrics and PHEVs. And they were buying a lot of um, of PHEVs for people who didn't want them. They weren't even checking if they had a place to plug them in, nothing. And compared to the regular owners of PHEVs who were fairly diligent, they were four times as unlikely. Like they they charged their cars one quarter as many times as the regular PHEVs. So really skewing the whole results. And and they and, and this is the organization from which most people take their anti-PHEV stance. And furthermore, you know, most uh, PHEVs historically have only got 30 or 40 kilometers of eight electric range so you're looking at maybe saying saving three four four bucks call it four bucks every time you charge it with a hundred kilometers or 90 kilometers like with the with the mercedes you're closer to 10 bucks with the uh with uh with the um uh with a uh 200 kilometer toyota that they're promising you'd save 20 to 25 bucks every time you plug it in uh from my point of view three or four bucks isn't much of a motivation. And I can tell you flat out, I had back to back a Lincoln Corsair uh, and I was a PHV and I was only getting 30 kilometers uh, per thing, uh, per charge. I plugged it in when I was home, but I didn't really worry about plugging it in anywhere else, searching for a a plug or anything else. It wasn't worth it. The the P uh, the PHEV Mercedes because it basically limited all my uh, gas charges. I actually and out of my way to charge it more often. So I suspect going forward, especially with say 200 kilometers at stake, people will really uh, take the time to plug in their PHEV every night, eliminating that factor that people say that um, not all PHEV owners charge as rigorously as they should. So why are we seeing um, automakers like GM and others starting to uh, revisit their their plug-in hybrid programs? I mean, the, the Chevy Volt was a fantastic vehicle. GM was so ahead of the curve with that car. Um, and then they killed it off. And, you know, obviously their, their commitment was going to the Bolt and going EVs, and they went all in on that. And now there seems to be like a like a gut check with them, and they're thinking, okay, we're going to actually bring a PHEVs. Is that largely due to public sentiment is it getting back to phevs as being the the bridge to a, a full ev future um i pretty much agreed with everything you said except the end um there's tons of bad news out there um about evs they cost you know like everybody likes to single in on the tesla model y it's fairly price competitive. That's because uh, Elon Musk has um, cut his profit to nothing. It's also subsidized by $2 million from EV credits from other manufacturers he can afford to. I just um, am writing up the Kona EV. Um, um, it costs forty six three ninety nine, I think. Um, a base gas one costs 25 
six ninety nine. There's twenty thousand dollars, twenty thousand four hundred dollars between a Kona gas and a Kona EV. And I think the major loss uh, in the base gas car is uh, climate control air conditioning. It's got everything else. You know, people like to talk about price parity, and they chose that Model Y as their one example. When you compare exact cars to exact cars, it's 15 to 20 grand more. People don't want them. Uh, then there's the range anxiety that is real. More importantly, we go back to what I said to you before. People aren't believing the message about BEVs right now. They believe the message on PHEVs. They don't believe some of the car companies that are talking about um about BEVs as being the be all and end all. They believe, and I hate to break this, bring this this company up again, but they believe Toyota because Toyota has never let them down with range on the hybrid uh, and everything else. And so, and and, and let's remember, they, the Toyota is the leader in hybrids and plug-in hybrids. Um, so, you know, it's trust, it's price, it's messaging, it's believability, it's all of those things, and. The only part that I would say is, uh, you know, is the, the concept right now out there is that PHEVs are a bridge to a full BEV future by 2035. Okay. I mean, yes, there'll be allowed a few PHEVs past 2035 in Canada, but it's very limited. Okay. Perhaps we will someday enjoy a full BEV situation and then, I don't know, any year further than 2035, it may turn out that PHEVs will be a bridge to BEVs. But for 2035, I don't think, I, I like, put it this way, if there was only two types of cars allowed in, in, in Canada in, in 2035, PHEVs and BEVs, and there wasn't a government mandate that said, that I think the numbers are, they must be 80% BEVs and 20% BEVs. Uh, PHEVs say there wasn't that mandated split. I bet my money on PHEVs being more popular than BEVs come 2035. Uh, the bridge thing it may eventually prove true. It won't prove. I don't think it'll prove true in the time frame that we're all sort of discussing. So um, interesting. We're talking. I mean, we've talked. You know, I won't say ad nauseum, but we've certainly covered the the 2035 zero emission mandate in Canada. Um, on a number of uh, driving into the futures on the podcasts on my Eve, on my plugged in podcast. So I, I just uh, this past week, I drove the Honda Prologue, the new um, all electric SUV that Honda is coming out with just in Canada and the States. And um, Honda has been paying a penalty because they don't have an EV in Canada. So, you know, the last I don't know how long year or two, they're, they're paying a penalty. They're paying money because they don't have one. So, you know, this could be seen as a compliance car. But more importantly, I think it underscores how maybe the governments are out of touch or just un, they just don't have the knowledge of PHEVs and, and understanding how they can cut emissions, as you cited. So is that something do, do you think governments need? Well, obviously, they need to be educated about. But that seems to be a kind of logical place to start the, the emissions argument with them to suddenly ratchet up. PHEV percentages for 2035 and ratchet down EV percentages. Have you met Stephen Gilbo? I have. Well, okay. come on. I mean, that's he's he's the guy now. But you know, no, government, he's, the government. he's the guy driving this. He's the guy driving this. Okay. And remember, we were talking about ideology. You don't get any any more ideological than Stephen Gilbo. Now, will that will it change? Will the liberals be still there? I neither one of us knows that. If you know, but what's driving it now is very much that gentleman having convinced Trudeau and the rest of the people that this is all doable, and it's driven by ideology. Is he likely to change his mind while he's in power? Absolutely not a chance in hell. He'll go down with the ship. That I'm certain of. Now, would there be a chance? 2030, 2030, somebody comes up. I mean, I've mentioned this to you before, but if we get to 35% BEVs um, nationwide, okay, 
um, when you include Alberta and, you know, the Prairie provinces. And, you know, to, uh, BC, where you are, is 60% BEVs. Mont uh, Quebec is 55% BEVs. Ontario is 30. The province, uh, Prairie provinces are 10 or 15 at best. Will there need to be some reckoning or are they really just going to tell, you know, you know, in 2035, 40% of the electric, as, as we've discussed before, that, you know, you can't buy what you want and you're basically going to vote us out of, uh, out of government in the very next election. I don't think so. But with the current, and that's possible, but with the current government, with the current leadership, with the current people, the reasonableness that you've suggested is simply not possible. Um, I, I've harangued on Mr. Trudeau enough. Mr. Gilbo is is by far more ideological and 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 bent on on having a hundred percent or nothing um, uh, as his modus operandi. I, I don't believe the man knows how to compromise whatsoever. All right, on on that, David, we're going to leave it. We had a good run today. Nice long podcast for people to dig into and and we covered a lot of ground so uh thanks as always thank you and thank you for joining david and myself on the motor mouth podcast we hope you enjoyed the discussion as far ranging as it was be sure to look for david's weekly motor mouth column on driving.ca every friday in addition to his senior writing duties for post media driving which includes the national post and driving.ca David hosts a panel series called Driving into the Future, which brings automotive and technology leaders to the table to discuss emerging topics in the mobility sector. He's just wrapped the latest season, and you can check out the taped episodes at driving.ca. And if you're more of a podcast person than a video panel watcher, great news is Driving into the Future panels are converted into podcasts, which you can find now on the Motormouth podcast channel on all the major podcast streaming services. Only downside of that is you can't see David's lovely face. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. And be sure to subscribe to the Motormouth podcast and Post Media's other automotive-related podcast, plugged in pertaining to all things electric vehicles and hosted by yours truly, and the Driving Podcast, hosted by Lorraine Sommerfeld. Until the next time. Music.